For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The Believe in Badger Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, presented by BetOnline.ag. Once again, I'm your host Matt Perkins, joined as always by Badger Legend, the Hebrew Hammer himself, Matt Bernstein. Bernie, how are we doing today? Dude, we're every day on the podcast is a holiday. I stole that from Little Wayne, I think, but I'm doing great, man. I I'm excited. You know, we had Greg Root on. We've had a bunch of running backs on AD. And the man that no one probably knows, but was so integral to every practice and a lot of things we did, Lucas Feller, who was a manager for the RBs. Lucas, we've, we did talk offline about some of the crazy things that you have seen and been a part of. I can't wait to talk about that. But, uh, dude, thank you for, for being here and, and jumping on the podcast with us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm happy to be a part of it and excited to uh, have another conversation with you, Matt. The culmination of the college basketball season is finally upon us. And if you're looking to wager on these last few games, Bet Online is the number one spot for all your updated odds and info. So head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to get started. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting with your favorite Vegas casino games. Plus, with Major League Baseball right around the corner, there's never been a better time to get in on the action. Bet online where the game starts. So, Lucas, so start off young. Like, where are you from? Were you into sports? Was football, like, always part of your life? And then why why'd you come to Wisconsin? And then, what, like, what made you want to become a manager? So, I, I grew up in Wisconsin, born and raised. Uh, I was I was always active as, as a young child and grew up out in the country. So we didn't have a lot of, of sports around. I primarily played baseball growing up, uh, did some basketball. Uh, I didn't play football actually until my freshman year of high school. And at the time, I was probably five foot one, all of one hundred ten pounds, soaking wet. So needless to say, I was I was third string uh, defensive back and I think third string tailback at the time. So. Uh, did get on the field a whole lot. <laughs> so after that, that one year, realized, hey, football probably wasn't for me as far as on the field uh, competition-wise. Uh, so I ended up going into, um, ran cross-country, ran track as well, uh, all through high school. Um, and then uh, went to UW-Madison. Uh, so enrolled there, loved loved the school. A big change from where I grew up, uh, coming from the country now to what What's for the country? me was surrounded uh, on five sides by cornfields. How's that? 
<laughs> I mean, I've been to some intricate places with guys on our team. I mean, I've been to the Eagle River. You drive through Rhinelander. I've been to Hudson, Wisconsin, which to me is kind of out there. Where Where yeah. are you from exactly? So originally from Mayville, Wisconsin. So okay. it's about an hour northeast of Madison. All right, so it is... It's not around a whole lot. I get it. It's a lot of open, open fields, beautiful uh, country land out there, but um, just a, a lot of farmland primarily. Do you guys, do you guys party in the woods or like in the cornfields? I've always wondered that. We did have some high school parties. Yeah. We, we took the trucks out into the field, had a, had a bonfire and yeah, didn't do anything too illegal. But yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, we used to do that too, but it was in the nature center in our, like in our actual, like this huge town, but was the only place we could go that, you know, like the cops usually didn't try to come neither here nor there. Let's keep going. So you came. So what made you so you, you wanted to come to UW, but what makes somebody become want to become a manager? You know, I feel like that's a really tough job that you get no love for. It, it, it can be at times. So when I when I first got on campus from day one, I started working in, in one of the cafeterias. And if, if you remember Pops Club. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I worked in the cafeteria for the first about year and a half, um, and and I got you know, promoted to supervisor. I got to wear the white hat instead of the red hat. Big deal. Uh, <laughs> but after after a year and a half of that, I said, yeah, this this isn't what I want to do. It, it just wasn't. It definitely wasn't part of my my career aspirations. And I in growing up again, I was always involved with sports, loved sports, watched it, uh, went to games. So I. I always knew kind of that, that fantasy. I wanted to be a part of sports. I wanted to work in sports. All right, my, my first childhood career goal when I was about five years old uh, was to be a professional wrestler. Um, yeah, I mean, wa- watching Hulk Hogan, the, the ultimate warrior, right? I mean, who, who wouldn't want to be in the, the WWF at the time? Right? But <laughs> obviously that, that, that shifted a little bit. So I had my mindset, yeah, I, I want to work in sports. Didn't know really what that meant at the time. And so freshman year, I'm in the dorm and I saw a, a posting on one of the bulletin boards uh, where they posted jobs available on campus. And it was for uh, the UW men's basketball team as a manager. I said, oh, this is something I was very involved with basketball, loved it. So yeah, it didn't, didn't take any action at that time, but it was, it was over winter break of my sophomore year in January. I said, I'm just going to call up the the UW football office, just cold call the office, see what happens. So called up and ended up speaking with uh, the director of football operations at the time. And he said, Hey, why don't you come in tomorrow? We'll sit down, we'll talk. So I came in, we chatted for about 15, 20 minutes. And then I got a, a full tour of, of the stadium, the football offices, the weight room, uh, locker room, just everything top to bottom. And at the end of that, that tour, he said, well, well why don't you come back tomorrow? We have winter conditioning starting out with, with, you know, debt and bot and those guys and say, Hey, we'll try you out for the spring, right? If you like it and if it's a good fit, right, we might keep you on for the fall. So it literally started with a cold call to the, the football office said, Hey, my name's Lucas. Are you hiring anybody for, for next fall? And they said, we're actually hiring somebody right now for the spring. Let's get you started. So, and, and I guess the, the rest is history there. Should I, it was that Chatama? Was that was. the, the Chatama? Wait, that's yeah. awesome. Okay, so that's nuts. So he toured you around, and then he's like, "Dude, you could start basically tomorrow." Yeah, yeah. He said, "Why don't you come? <laughs> we have conditioning. Uh, we have uh, you know up in the McLean Center after you guys were done lifting. 
came up, did some speed and did agility work. And then we were just helping out with, with something. It was about, I think two or three days a week, a couple hours a day, uh, just starting with, with the spring. And then we got into spring ball and spring practice and it, it picked up a little bit there. And at the time I was assigned to, uh, the tight ends initially just for that spring. Cause we had a couple managers that were graduating in that spring. And then that following fall, um, I got switched over to, to the running backs and had the, uh, had the pleasure of working with guys like you and AD and root. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely made it less pleasurable for you. Um, Wait, is there an onboarding? Like, do you, you met, you see like, Hey, come back tomorrow. What do you do when you get to the stadium that day? Literally, they, they gave me a, a shirt and a pair of shorts and said, all right, just go upstairs and, and they'll tell you what to do. So I went in really no training. They just said, Hey, just show up tomorrow. So I showed up the next day and, and they just explained what it is. And then as we got into spring ball, and it was just kind of a learning by experience. Right? And it, we were each assigned to a position coach. So again, initially I was with the tight end, eventually shifted to the running backs. And we would sit down with, with the coach ahead of time and just say, okay, what, what do you want set up for your, your individual station for the, the individuals? Um, and then as we got into more of the, the, the team functions, uh, then you know, there were some different responsibilities that we had there. And, and just learning from some of the other managers as well that had been there for a few years. Who, who was the uh, the tight ends coach that you first went in with? It wasn't Tim uh, Davis. It was no, um, it was it was Brian Murphy. Brian Murphy was the tight ends coach. Thought he was a yeah. special teams guy. He he was he was both actually. Oh, got it. Okay, yeah. My memory is very foggy at, the, at this <laughs> too, too point. Too many hits to the head. <laughs> too many. You know, because you know, you know, like a lot of these things, like don't. It's crazy. Like that never has any effect on my responsibility. And Coach White never left, so I don't really care about like who the other coaches. I, I won't say that, like that in that way, but kind of you don't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you're so you so you meet with Brian Murphy like before practices. He's telling you like I want this drill set up. I want this drill set up you're not in the room when the, when the tight ends are there. So you're out in the field, you're getting stuff ready. Do you have any like weird conversations with Brian Murphy or like any funny like stories? Cause I love Murph and he, and, but I just, yeah, I just want to like, I feel like you guys have such a different relationship with the coaches. You're more colleagues than, you know, the, the, the player coach um, structure. So like, is there, what did you guys what do you have with Murph? Cause I can't wait to get into coach white, but anything with Murph that was like a little bizarre. Uh, nothing that really jumps out with him. It was kind of a, a short time that we worked together and, and, and you had coaches just like everybody else. Players have, have different personalities and some of you were a little bit closer with and had more conversations with others were just more um, just, here's what we need. Um, you know, get it done type of type of approach. Um, but I mean, certainly with, uh, with, with Brian White, we had, uh, yeah, some interesting um, experiences. I mean, you and I both are just being part of some of the drills and, and just some of the things that were said at, at practice, you know, off, off the field, just I mean, hilarious. Uh, I mean, and that's one of the things that I missed the most and enjoyed the most about just my experience uh, of being with the team is getting that, that, that personal approach it and get to know you guys as players, getting to know the coaches uh, and just what your real personalities are, you know, outside of, of the X's and O's. Okay. So you get, so you, you come into the best, the best room there is. 
you sit down with Coach White. What's your first meeting like with Coach Brian White? I'm like, where is this guy's head at? <laughs> <laughs> right? Because, you know, I mean, he's all over the place. <laughs> it, all over. Uh, I mean, brilliant, brilliant man when it comes to the X's and O's. And it was just, uh, you know, some of those people, it's like, hey, something shiny right, over there. And yeah. it's just like, <laughs> and even during practice, sometimes we're like, where, where did that come from? <laughs> right? <laughs> I love it. Something shiny's over there. Cause that is, that's really, I mean, Coach White is, he went to Harvard. He was a quarterback. I actually think he's a genius. He's a yeah. great running back coach, but he really is a bananas guy, like in, in every facet. Like he's all over the place. You're right. He sounds so, like, a, like just from like the way that you and AD and like Rude have described him, just sounds like a savant, right? You know, just kind of like, like one of those guys who's just like, who's brilliant but has a tough time like getting some of some more basic ideas across to people who aren't quite on his level. I would say you had the, it was a special level. And once you got there, you could understand everything coach White's saying it took us, it took a little while. You had to kind of connect some dots in between. Um, but Lucas, so what, what, so that, so the meetings are bananas with coach White. You, I guess, can you just kind of describe like what, what your responsibility was before practice, what coach white asked you to set up and do. And um, I guess I can preface, like we would have periods. So everyone's a five minute period. Everything was scripted on a piece of paper. Um, so everyone knew where they were going to be. No, I mean, that we, we never saw the script, but the managers and the coaches and everyone else kind of probably did. Lucas, can you describe like what, what you had to do during that time? Yeah, so as, as you guys were in meetings, wrapping up, or if it was conditioning, getting taped up down the, the training room, uh, we as managers would be out on the field setting up all the individual stations, right? And, and specialists would come out first. The kickers would come out. So we would help them uh, with uh, sometimes receiving, catching kickoffs or punts, um, helping them just shag balls, kick field goals. Um, so that was part of it. And then for the individual stations, we each had our own stations and drills set up depending on on which position you worked with so in ours uh bernie with with you and i and ad and those guys we had uh the different cone drills set up we had the, the trash cans uh which are legendary that the trash cans <laughs> uh different agility drills uh some of the pop-ups as well the, the dummies so depending on what that day's practice looked like um and and that was detailed out on that script as, as well bernie usually we would have the whole the set of any equipment that we would need. And then when, when coach white got out to the field, he would say, Hey, I want, I want this set up. I want this set up for the station too. So really it wasn't until he got out there until, you know, he kind of made that determination. Sometimes it was just on the fly. We, we changed around some stuff. Um, we would have balls out on the field. So uh, again, helping shag and, and set balls out. Um, and then uh, for for the the team drills, once we got together after the individuals, you know, we'd mark the ball, we'd spot the ball, we'd, we'd help out with the chains and downs as we were scrimmaging. So th there was a, a ton there, and then we would script those plays as well. So as we got into again the the, the skelly and the, the seven on sevens, sometimes the coaches would just call out the plays, and we would have to script those as they were calling them out because they would same thing. They would just make up the plays on or, or just call out the plays on the fly. Uh, and sometimes we would have to jot down what that would be. Right? If, we're, if we were running a two-minute drill, right, we, we'd know what the play was. So when we went back on the film, we could say, okay, this was the play um, that, that we ran. 
So I don't think people understand like how scripted and how in depth it's not like you just roll a ball out on the field, like a third grader. It's like every single thing is kept in paper. So you can now digest it later and watch the film and know what we're doing. And I mean, usually you could, depending on the route trees and all that stuff, you could probably call the plays out, but the coaches had you guys do all these things. We always had chains. I remember pretty much like if it was second and five, you had the the chains that look like second and five. It was just something to get accustomed to. But I mean, that that's a lot of work for you guys to be like running around doing these things. Yes. And, and it was so fast paced, just like you guys. I mean, we were on that script. You said it's five minutes per period. And it was, it was mapped out where we had a certain number of, of plays that were scheduled and to a T that last play would end as that clock hit zero. And then we go into the next period and whether that was back in some individual or if that was some different team, it was just nonstop for an hour and a half, two hours of every practice. So yeah, there, there was nothing that was left up to, to chance. It was, this is the script. Here's every single play that we're going to run. And by the, the minute, the second, it was, it was mapped out. If you didn't get to that last play, they would just stop the clock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's all about tempo. I lo- that's what I loved about practice. It was so upbeat, and it, it felt like two hours was like snap of the fingers and it was gone. Um, but if they needed to get something in, it wasn't like they were just going to skip. Sometimes they'd be like, "Oh, we didn't get to this play. Next period." Sometimes they're like, "Hold the phone. We're going to do this last play." Yeah, or we would have to re- rerun a play once or twice right? if somebody messed up a route or miss an opportunity, we would go back and say, rerun it. And just to make sure again, you always want to, they say in basketball, you want to end on a make same type of principle is, is you want to end on a completion or you want to make sure you run the route. And if somebody messed up, we're going to rerun that play. And coach White had a little OCD in him. So he was not okay with like ending on a drop. No, like there was nothing. <laughs> so what are, what are some fun stories? Like some fun things you remember at practice? Cause I remember some things and you know, um, I just feel like practice is so different. Like you get to look at it from a different scope. So what were some fun things that, that you were around or some not fun things that you were around? <laughs> <laughs> I know we used to hide the cones underneath the, the trash can. You'd set them up. They were beautifully set up. You know, coach White would turn his back. AD would put some of the cones under there. They'd be dipped. They'd be gone. Coach White, we'd just be standing there waiting for the cone drill. Cause we started almost every individual with this cone cut drill. And then five cones weren't there and coach white would freak out at you, which was, we thought was hilarious. Was yeah, that funny it was, to you? It was hilarious. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was at least once a week where, where you guys would mess with me all in good fun. I know, but uh, yeah, we would, we would have everything set up the station, all the cones, all the mats. And, and, and then I'd be over working with, uh, with the specialists or the, the kickers, whoever I come back for the start of it and, and nothing is there. <laughs> there were a couple of times, like everything is gone. And some of them are like literally in the bushes. Some are in the stands, like 10 rows up. Like, how did, how did you throw these 10 rows up into the bleachers? <laughs> I have no balls. There's no, there's nothing there. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So again, it, 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 we enjoyed that um, all, all in good fun. Um, it, it was fun getting out there early with, uh, with the kickers, punters, the snappers as well is, we would actually hold uh, the balls for the kickers. So kicking field goals, for example, uh, we would be out there taking snaps, literally holding for, for the kickers, sometimes snapping the balls to the punters, catching the punch kickoffs. 
Um, so those were, were fun things that, you know, people just don't, your, your ordinary people just don't get to experience. Um, and to, to escalate that when it came to game days, um, same principle applies. We would be out there first thing two hours before the, the game starts. We're on the field getting everything set up on the sidelines, uh, benches, um, balls, equipment. Uh, but then when, when the kickers and punters came out, we would be out there on midfield catching punts, catching kickoffs. Uh, and, and, and night ga- everybody loved night games, right? Under the lights, ESPN, ABC games, and the, the crowd, you can just feel the energy. Right, lights are on. It, it's Camp Randall at night. There's no better feeling than that. And now, me as a uh, you know now player, I'm out there on the 50 yard line. Yeah, as as 80,000 people are filing into the stadium, I'm catching kickoffs. I'm catching punts like into the lights. I mean, it's just that you know that that experience of not being a student athlete myself. You really got that that feeling, and it was something that you know, that experience. I can still picture it today. I can hear. You know, the music, the warm-up music coming through the the, the speakers in Camp Randall, and uh, you, you still get chills just thinking about things like that. And that wasn't even you know part of the game; it was just leading up to it. So, if that's like some of like the most rewarding stuff about being a manager, what's what would you say is like the toughest part, or was like the most either like mentally or physically taxing for you that some days were just like, uh, like this again? <laughs> yeah, there wasn't necessarily one thing that I really despised about or. or uh, didn't look forward to. Uh, I think the biggest thing that was really underestimated is the amount of time that that you you spent doing it. And, and we weren't paid hourly; we were basically paid a, a, a semester stipend. So it was almost like a, a salary type position. And, and the longer, the more years you were there, the more senior you were, and you got a little bit of pay increase um, each year. Uh, but it would be basically any time that I was not in class during the day leading up to practice, I would be we'd be in the, the football office checking in with the coaches uh, or we'd be down in the locker room with the equipment staff or we'd be out on the field or we'd be uh, getting the, the truck loaded up for, for a road trip if that was it. So it was, it was well into anywhere from 20 to, to 30 hours per week on top of being a full-time student. Um, so, and, and, and Bernie can relate to that as a student athlete, right? You probably had even more responsibility than that between study hall and the weight room and, um, you know, meals and meetings and everything else. But, uh, it, it was similar for, for a lot of the managers, especially during the fall season, just the, the time commitment that was involved with it. Did you, did you guys have like a manager's locker room? We didn't have a specific locker room. We, we, we just changed and dressed it in the, the back of the, the main equipment room. Okay. Okay. Primarily, but, and, and we had, my, my first year before they did some of the renovations, uh, right off one of the exits from, from the stadium, there was a little locker room, but then they, as they were starting the renovations, they had to take all that out. Uh, but no, we didn't really have any dedicated locker room space. Oh, that's brutal. Were you able to use the weight room when, you, was, when you guys wanted yeah. to? Oh, it's okay. Yeah, well, so that, that was one of the perks. You got food too sometimes, right? Yeah, so we we got to eat at at, a training table as well. So usually once we wrapped up with practice, the team was ready up there. And by the time we got everything situated, we came up and it was towards the end. But yeah, we'd we'd be able to to take part of a training table after practice. Um, Yeah, use use the weight room. Anytime the the team wasn't in there, I mean, it was open. Um, It was was loud that we could use it. So yeah, I, I got to train and, you know, Division one 
you know, football and, and athletic department weight room, which is awesome. So what was your experience with the Rusty Toolbox? Because we got to ask, that's obviously like a legendary thing between Iowa and Wisconsin. What is, did you guys, what was your record in the Rusty Toolbox? And what were your sort of favorite memories from that experience? Yeah, the, the Rusty Toolbox. So uh, I heard that the podcast that you did with Darren Jones uh, a couple months back and uh, really kind of sparked some some memories of that game specifically. So people... <laughs> For people that don't know what the Rusty Toolbox game is, it, it's it's a, a a flag, and I'm I'm using uh, air quotes if you can't see me here. A flag football game between the Wisconsin football managers and the Iowa football managers the night before the actual real game on on Saturday, and and usually this game started around 10:30 p.m. at night because it was well after the. The team was situated in the hotel. All the, the responsibilities that we need to do at, at the hotel were taken care of. The locker room, the, the stadium, uh, where this game would start. And it was either played outside or, or indoors. Uh, my first year, we played at Iowa, and we were playing outside. And it was probably the, the second week of November at, at 1030 at night in Iowa. It was maybe five degrees and and we're outside playing this this game, <laughs> and and it was it was such a fun atmosphere though because you'd have some of the other support staff from the the football team or just a lot of the friends and, and even family members of the managers that would come out to, to watch this game and, and to cheer you on, and then as as I was there more and more each year it got a little bit bigger where we started recording and, and live streaming the game as well, and depending on what what um, uh, television broadcasts we were for the, the game on Saturday, if it was ABC or ESPN primarily, they sometimes they actually came out to the game and did some, some B-roll footage for us, and they would air it that next day during the game as coming back from commercial, whatever it might be, or at halftime, and they would show the, the rusty toolbox on the sideline, and they would talk you know, 30 seconds a minute on it, and uh, one of the years they actually showed about five highlights from our game. The one game that, that we won, it was in Madison. Um, my last year we played and, and we beat Iowa for the first time. Uh, and yeah, they're, they're going to call shenanigans on the game. Uh, if, if you ask the Iowa managers, but you know, we, we won't say that we had a, a former Heisman trophy candidate, um, you know, playing on our team. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was his name? Um, Thomas Hammock. Yes. Yeah. Head coach at Northern Illinois right now. But <laughs> he going into his senior year. He was a preseason Heisman trophy candidate yep. uh, running back and ended up having some, some medical conditions. Um, couldn't end up playing, but uh, he came on as a, Technically, he was a manager, so we did not break any of the rules as set out by the toolbox guidelines. He was classified as a manager, <laughs> uh, even though he was a, a glorified uh, manager and you know primarily worked as an offensive assistant coach. Um, but yeah, we, we had him play on the game. Uh, so imagine having a, a 250-pound guy coming at you full blast and just blowing you up. That's where the, those air quotes flag football it wasn't flag football anymore. <laughs> it was full on contact. <laughs> and then well, the, the, the worst experience too, and, and th there would be scuffles that broke out in this game every year, guaranteed. Uh, it, it got, it, it got very intense between the Iowa and Wisconsin managers. And uh, we were, we were in, 
in Iowa for the game, uh, my second to last year. And there was a crossing pattern, a long pass down the field. Two of our guys ran into each other, collided head first, uh, ended up going to the emergency room, uh, needing stitches. And, and one had a pretty bad concussion and it, there was, you know, blood and, and stitches. So, um, it, it, it got pretty intense, but, um, what, it was, what position did you play in those games? So I was primarily, I was receiver, but my last year I was defensive end. So my, my number was 99. So this was before JJ Watts. So JJ Watts stole my 99 uh, as I dominate as, as defensive end, um, on the line. You mentioned away games and a lot of like you at 1030 was pretty much when you guys were done with the responsibilities, but that's a long day. What, what were the responsibilities for managers on away trips? So we had two groups of managers that went, we had our our early group that typically left on Thursday, either right after practice or maybe even during or before practice, depending on if it was a flight or a drive. Most of the time, if it was within about a six hour drive, we would, we would load up the vans, drive to the hotel, get checked in uh, by late Thursday night, right? And then what would happen Friday is as the team is preparing to load up the buses or, or go to the airport for the flight, we as the managers would do two things. We'd be at the hotel. Uh, we would make sure that every room was set for the, the players. And that was making testing every key, swipe key, make sure that the keys work. We would have to you know, check the, the alarms, the clocks in the room, make sure everything was set to the right time. Uh, so there were lots of, and then make sure that the team meeting rooms were set up with how we needed them to be, right? Check on all the food and beverage, make sure all that was coordinated. Um, and then we would go over the, to the stadium as well because the team would come for the walk-in once they got in from either the flight or the, the trip. They would come to the locker room, so all the all the equipment, the jerseys were were hung up. Everything was ready to go. So when you walked in, Bernie and the rest of the team, right, everything was was ready to go. Right, but we unloaded the semi. We unloaded all the the trunks of of equipment. Uh, everything set up on the sideline, headsets. Um, you know, the, the training staff did their work as well. But it was a lot of those um, just you know small things that it was it was a full day. We we left the hotel typically at six seven o'clock eight o'clock in the morning to get to the stadium to get everything set up to make sure that when you got there whenever that was for the walkthrough yeah everything was seamless yeah i don't okay so let let me paint the picture because i don't think people i get in my brain there's 65 guys would travel but not counting also the 15 coaches or 20 uh, other people who traveled with the team and more people but the 65 guys would get would bring a duffel bag up to an 18-wheeler that you guys would pack with that, all the balls, I'm sure, every other piece of equipment that needed to be there. Water bottles, I, I'm, I'm, there's probably way more. But the 18-wheeler would leave Thursday, not, Thursday after practice. So you guys might have driven well into the night because practice usually ended with, what, like 4.35-ish? Yep. Probably about 5. So you had the shower, and we did it quick on Thursday. We would shower quick get our stuff and throw your bag up. Now you couldn't forget anything because you had nothing. Else. Um, so you'd get the bag. And so you guys would leave about like five, let's just say five, five 30 at night. You know, if you're driving to Penn state, that's a long haul for that, for the driver and for the people. But I would assume you guys would fly to Penn state. With Penn state. I think it's kind of the only outlier the, at, the, yeah, at the time. So the, the early crew. And, and that wasn't, 
so my my last year, my senior year, I was the head manager. So I was always back with the team. My first two years, I would it would be about every probably every two out of three trips, I would go early. And then because we as managers, we rotate up of who is on the official uh, team travel party. So we would just rotate that through. And then sometimes the 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 seniority got to pick or got you know, more of those trips where you know they stayed with the team. And if if the team uh, on Friday took a flight, we'd be on the flight with them. Right. Um, generally a, a chartered flight. Or if it was on the bus ride, we would be there because on the bus we had to to check off every name to make sure we did a head count. Uh, is every person on here, coaches, staff, support staff, right before the bus could leave, we were literally the, the last ones on. Um, but yeah, that, that early crew, we would, in most cases, uh, we would actually drive. So it would be anywhere from a six to eight hour drive between usually two to three vans. And then the semi would be uh, driving as well. So you really, could you go out on Thursday night? Like, was there any fun? Yeah. You, okay. As if no one saw that, <laughs> Lucas is like, gave me like the nod of, yes, we did do that. So what'd you guys do? I mean, like, I never knew there was an early crew. Yeah. I think that's so fascinating. I also never thought like, duh, there's 65. No one understands it. You set up the lockers. So like when we got in, our jerseys were hanging. Our cleats were like, things looked pretty. It was, I think what your, your role was is to make the players feel like they don't have to do anything strenuous outside of like the game. All you do is think about the game. So you come in, like the only hard part that I hated was putting your pads in your pants. But I mean, like, I would never expect you to do that for me. But yeah, it's I'm just so, yeah, I wouldn't touch my pants either <laughs> or my pads. But I don't think people understand, like, it, you guys did so much back work that really it was such a cakewalk when we got to places, even when the, it was in, you know, a, a terrible, crappy stadium like Iowa. I thought, you know, you walked in, you're like, oh, my, my, my seat is set up, like all my stuff is out. I had no responsibility. So it's kind of nice, but I didn't know about the early crew. You got to tell me some cool things about the early crew. You guys hit bars. Like you guys don't, I mean, you don't have to say this, but like, were there significant other people involved? Like this is, were there any people getting in trouble? No names have to be. Yeah. I won't (laughs) say too much on the show. We, we, we were on our best behavior for the most part, right? Uh, Because last thing we wanted was to be sent home. Sure. But, sure. So, I mean, we went out, we had fun, we were responsible uh, for the most part. Um, but it, you know, we saw some interesting things. And um, we were out in, in, uh, at Iowa Champaign the night before, and it was two nights before on Thursday. And we went to, you know, one of the local establishments. And uh, it, it was, it was hopping for, for Thursday night because it was right on their campus. So you know, the students were out there and uh, they're, their men's basketball team was out partying as well. And at the time they were number one in the country. And, and we saw, you know, some of these guys are you know six foot 10 and you can obviously tell who they were. And, and they, they were just recognizable uh, being that there were some of the, the top, top players in the country at the time as well. And, and there were some interactions with, uh, with that and some things that we observed and yet I won't get anybody in trouble, but yeah, you, you see some things that, um, you know, you just kind of stick with you over time. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So, uh, what, was what, was favorite, what, was, what was your favorite road venue to travel to? What was your favorite? It was my question, Matty P. That was my question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had mentioned Iowa. Actually, Iowa, the, the nightlife in Iowa was, was Iowa City is similar to Madison. 
and that it, it's a very college town. I mean, there, there's nothing else out there. And, and so we, we had some good times out there. And, and going back to the toolbox game and the managers, we actually did have a, a pretty good relationship with the managers. On the field, you know, there was the, the intensity. Uh, but off the field, once the game was over, we shook hands. We actually went out and, and hung out with them. And, and the following day on Saturday, regardless of, of which manager team won the toolbox, we would be on the field and just, you know, talking, laughing it up and even, you know, scrimmaging and playing catch with the other managers. So that, that was a neat experience as well of getting to know some of these other uh, staff members, managers, equipment guys, uh, trainers at the other schools that you know, we knew exactly what they were going through. And then we would compare some stories and say, hey, how do you do this? And we would tell our stories and they would have funny stories about some of their coaches and, and players about, you know, the things that were said and done. And. Uh, we had good laughs there, so that that was kind of a little bit of a of a brotherhood because you know we went through the same type of, of grind that they did. Mm-hmm. Any places you hated to go? Yeah, you know, one place that it it wasn't a hate, but the the big house in Michigan, which first time I walked into the stadium. Well, you walk up to the stadium, and if you haven't been there, it only stands probably about thirty feet tall from the outside, and that might be a slight. Uh, exaggeration, but everything is down. So you walk in and and you walk down into the stadium. And I was just very underwhelmed by by the big house, right? Because my, you know, for for being as big of a stadium it is, and Michigan back in the day was huge. And just to get in there, it was a very quiet crowd. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not a very loud stadium. Just no, in general, they're, they're very the, so, the sound and, all escapes it the way that it's it's built. And so. and then they they really only get up when when the team is doing well. So if if you're if if the opposing team is, is playing well, it's not a very loud stadium. Uh, and and also with the conditions are they they were the one year we were out there it was before they put in their artificial turf. The entire end zone was just painted sand because I mean, they had some rain and and it's so far down into the the ground that. Uh, and it was a little late, later in the season as well. So it had been pretty ripped up natural grass, uh, but we got in there and it was just almost all just painted sand it, and it was almost swampy as well. So it was, um, that, that was one place that again, I just, in my, my head going in, I'm like, we're going to the big house and I said, you know, Camp Randall is, is, you know, 10 times better than, than the big house. The billion times better. I mean, <laughs> Camp Randall has fun things that the students do, no matter if you're losing by 50 or winning by 50, the crowd is going bananas the whole time. Like the student section's nuts. All they do is play the same song, but like they drill it down so much. It's like, by the end, you just hate it. So I'm like, I don't know how Michigan people do it. (laughs) They hear the same song over and over again, 400 times. That's all they do. How how about the the Nittany Lion roar? Oh God. That's really annoying too. I'm not going to lie. It's annoying. But that stadium's really cool. It is. Yes. It's a lot different. And they're nuts too. But that roar is like, you're like, please, God, Erasmus, don't let him get a first down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just it, can't it, hear it again. Two yard game, the, the nitty line roar. I'm like, really? Come on. It was, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like every they hit the other button, play. whatever they want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, that's crazy. Uh, so, switching gears a little bit, what did you either take from your time as a manager or learn from your time as a manager that you have applied to your professional life? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So, I mean, and just the, the whole experience is to this day still the greatest job I've ever had. It's just everything that we we've talked about here and, and more 
just that experience of my three and a half years of experiencing everything from you know, divi- a major division one college football program from the inside that most people will, will never know about what really happens. And again, in some of these stories, it's even more of that experience uh, and, and just getting to know the players and coaches on a personal level as well. Um, but it, just knowing what goes into a production like that. So when I, when I finished um, at the university of Wisconsin, Madison, I went to, to graduate school at the U- university of Akron. Um, I worked as a graduate assistant there for two years in facilities and operations so having that background of everything that it went into just just football, travel, game day, um, just regular daily practice, really helped me better understand <clears throat> to me how to to prepare for events um, at, at a smaller scale too. Because any when you go from Wisconsin football to you know, most other programs, it's still Division One uh, football, but it wasn't at, at at that grand scale of say, hey, this is how we did things at, at the University of Wisconsin, for example. Um, just knowing what, what all goes into that really helped me in, in that career, you know, working in college athletics moving forward. So let's, let's go back for a second, though. Let's talk about the running back specifically. Who are some of the guys you remember, some of the experiences you had with them, and like what was special about that group that you really enjoyed? You guys were characters. <laughs> uh, I mean, between you and, and, and AD and, and Root, I mean, we, we talked offline a, a few weeks ago of some of the stories, but um, you know, obviously, you guys you know, mess with me a little bit you know, before practice, but um, just the you know, knowing each person's uh, character. I mean, AD, another very smart guy, and, and just you know, his. When he he broke out his impressions of of you know Coach White or whoever it was, I'm just cracking up with with you guys uh, during practice, uh, making it loose, um, or if, if if Coach White said something, just a reaction from from this and um, you know we, I always think of, of of Root as well, you know, awesome guy, um, but White would just <laughs> get in in his voice and, and you know say his little one liners uh, that that were hilarious, but. Um, yeah, I, I mean, every, everybody has that, that that different personality. So I, I love just you know with, getting to know you guys on, on that personal level. You are, you don't even mention Booker, who is very special, <laughs> and him and AD had some funny conversations. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Uh, so, and what were some of the funniest things like? either coach white said to us or vice versa. Yeah. I wish I could remember if it had written down half of, of what his one liners were. I mean, do you, do you remember some of them? I remember some of them. I wish that I filmed individual just by itself, or I could arc like go back to the archives and find it because they were, he was that funny during that period yeah. or those five periods or whatever. And, and he would use some analogies that, didn't make any sense. <laughs> you, you would just stop and listen. Like, what? What? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what does that even mean? <laughs> right? But it, it just came out naturally. And, and he was, I think he, he was just so brilliant that these things just came to him. And it, sometimes there wasn't really a filter. I think he just said things that popped in his head. And it, it was things that didn't really even necessarily make sense. But you just, you just went with it. <laughs> No, you. De- I mean, you definitely went with it because there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> yeah. Out- outside of that, like, what was your relationship with, 
you know, coach Christ or coach or coach Alvarez? Yeah. So coach, coach Christ is, is probably still to this day, the, the nicest, most genuine coach uh, I've ever met. And that's in any sport. Um, and, and now looking at, at Tim as the head coach, I'm, I'm sure, you know, he, he hasn't changed at all, but he would be a coach that if, if I was walking through the office uh, during the day, if I popped in or if, if it was out on, on the practice field before practice, or he just ran into me in the hallway, he would always stop and, and talk to you. And it was like legit conversation where it wasn't just a, Hey, how are you doing? It was, Hey, how's, how's, how's your family doing? And he would ask specifically about, um, you know, your family, about your, your classes, about just what was going on in your life. And he, he took the time to really get to know you and, and care about you. And again, it was just so genuine how he came out as such a personable coach that I know that's, I'm sure that's why he has such the success that he has today with, mm-hmm. with recruiting and, and player development and the other staff that he has, because um, he was so liked by, by so many people. What about coach Alvarez? A little different. Yeah. Um, so did he, we had, did he get you, make you go buy his port sherry? Is that what <laughs> scary Alvarez says? Like, okay. <laughs> he didn't have you have buy any wine islands. No, no. So it was, that was much more of a, a business relationship for the most part. And I, I would check in with him um, usually a, a couple days a week. If I was in the office, I would just pop in and, and uh, you know, just see if he needed anything. If it was during midday, um, Again, Darren had mentioned a, a couple months ago with with the coaches and, and their cars. Um, we had a dealer. We had a, a deal with a local um, car washing place where we would take the coaches' cars and just get them washed, maybe you know once a week or once every you know few weeks. Um, so sometimes it was it was things like that, or or if uh, if he needed something else, right, maybe just run a, a quick errand for him, or just you know, help with whatever it was. But um, again, always, always very approachable when, when he was uh, available just to, to talk. And um, were there any crazy, like crazy things that people were, you don't have to mention the coach's name, but like anything crazy, they're like, Hey, Lucas, go get me sliders at Culver. Like is anything like really outrageous? That's not even that outrageous. Uh, no, nothing outrageous that I remember. One of the coaches uh, always needed his dip his his chew so yeah we had to sometimes well, get that if that's not brian white then who else could that possibly it could be coach chris it could there be were, there were, tim actually, davis actually, there, there were a, a few of them and usually if they were if there was a coach's meeting and i happened to be walked through one of them would would wave me and say hey can you run down to the 7-eleven and, and pick me up a, a canister and they would they would just give you some cash and they say yeah just just keep the change and you'd bring it back. <laughs> Dude, I, little do people know that almost everyone dipped, um, even on the team. At least when I was playing, it was it's either you were hardcore didn't do it or every or you did it. And it was oh to me coming from New York, no, we don't even know what dip or chew is. So it's a very interesting, uh very interesting. Um, we've talked a lot, we don't have much more time, but we've talked a lot about camp and you've been to the seminary. Any great experiences going out there and being a part of that, that doesn't happen anymore. So, I mean, that's kind of cool that you were part of it, but like anything out there that was like really different. I think nothing that, that really jumped out uh, specifically 
on that. There was, there was a lot of setup because we had, it was probably three or four fields as well versus basically a one field. So we had a ton of space, which was great. So there was a lot more setup uh, with that. The, uh, having to haul the, the weight room, the entire weight room out to, to seminary uh, was, was a chore though of, of loading up 130 pound dumbbells, you know, one at a time, taking them up a ramp onto this, uh, the semi and then taking them out there uh, was, that, that was not enjoyable. <laughs> um, oh, and sure. then the, the days when, when we didn't have any air conditioning in the dorms and it was you know, 90 degrees uh, and humid, those, um, those weren't the best, but um, I, I thought it was, it was, it was good to, for everybody to really get to know each other. Right. It, it's that, that bonding experience of, Hey, you're going to see each other you know, 24 seven for the next two weeks. I get to know each other, uh, with that. But, um, and, and we did have the, the opportunity us managers to leave seminary and, you know, either go back to campus or if we need to, you know, run some errands or pick some, some stuff up for the coaches or the, the players, whatever that might be, you know, we could do that. But, um, yeah, we, we slept out there in the, in the dorms, uh, just like everybody else did ate, ate the meals there. Um, but yeah, that, that was, uh, yeah, fun, fun experience. And I'm sure that then my last year, I think it was my last year, we, uh, we came back cause we just had renovated um, the stadium at that point and just mm-hmm. made some changes. That last year was kind of brutal, but I mean, it, I, I, I didn't like the seminary, but I understood it. It's 18 days. I was like the most I've been sober when I was a young kid for now I do sober January, but sober for 18 days in a row you couldn't even drink the night before because you had to be there so early to check in oh yeah. god yeah. great memories yeah um <laughs> really great um any any like funny oh man i'm just trying to think like coach white who else like phil fuller was in that room like there were just yeah. some you're, yeah. you talk about characters there's some really bizarre humans. Were there any like you know like who else outside of the running backs did you really enjoy being around? Because a team, there's a lot more people on the team. Yeah, yeah, th- there were a lot of, of great players that you know we um, didn't necessarily hang out with necessarily off the field. I mean, we would run into them um, either in class or or maybe out on the weekends. Uh, but some of the other guys that I always jumped out, you know, Scott Starks was was such a great guy. Jonathan Orr. Um, you know, Robert Brooks from, from the defensive backs, those guys were, were always just such great guys. And, and same thing, they would, they would say hi to you if you passed them, um, or you could just strike up a conversation on the field, just again, great, genuine guys. But I mean, and, and a lot of the specialists that we got very close with a lot of the kickers and punters, because we spent so much time with them before practice and then, um, on the road as well. Um, so th- those were guys that, Again, a lot of a lot of them, and some of the strength coaches were were fun just to to mess around with as well. Dude, so, but you didn't include me in any of that. Did I not say hi to you? Ooh, did, did, did I did I not include? Did I not? <laughs> did I not I was, I <laughs> <laughs> no, I mentioned it before. No, no, you were you were one of my fa- you were my favorite match. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, now I really believe. No, legit. It. I mean, you, you were one of one of the favorites because again, you were always. It's just that, that, you know, you have that personality, which it, it's, it, it's hard not to like somebody like you when, when you come out of the field with all, all that energy, or if you're just joking around the locker room, you know, we always knew when you were around, which is awesome. 
I feel like I, I would always buy you a drink at the bar, but that's just like a feeling and a, that might not be true. No, I don't think that ever happened. So. <laughs> Did I just never see you at the bar? Oh, no, man. You, you saw me. You always yeah. got <laughs> Yeah, Wanda. It was, it was a lot of Wanda. I remember that. The fish a lot, yeah. a lot of Wanda. Well, a lot of fish bowls means I probably didn't see you. I might have I might have been around you, but I did not yeah, yeah, physically exactly. see you. Exactly. I didn't see you. I just dude, I it was there was a lot of um lights are on, but nobody's home. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking speaking of, of lights uh being on and not being on, uh you know, one of the probably the, the craziest game that I've ever been a part of was the UNLV game back in, in 2002. And then for people that don't know this, uh, we, we traveled out to play uh, UNLV in Vegas um, to, to start the year. And this was, I think it was September 2nd of, of 20, uh, 2002. So long for people that don't remember that don't know this game. So we came in as about a, about a three point favorite at the time, uh, which, you know, was, was, pretty crazy that it was that close on the books going in by the time kickoff started it, it jumped up to about a seven point uh spread and this was only over about a, a day and a half time frame so we get out to the game the game is going on we're, we're up big and it's it's in the fourth quarter and in the middle of the game play is about to take off and this is a night game entire stadium goes dark stadium lights go out the press box lights are still flickering on and off and everybody just stops. We're like, you know, what's happening? The officials call, we, we get the team to the sideline. And then, so it's just, we don't know what's happening for about 30 seconds. And then that 30 seconds later, there's a boom and everything goes out. So now, and then now we have fans that are trying to jump on the field and we don't know it's, it's starting to be chaos. And with the teams are over the sideline. So what, what happened, well, supposedly there's, um, you know, there's what really happened and there's the, uh, the conspiracy theories. So we were, we were two minutes, 41 seconds from the game being official in the Las Vegas books. So there was seven minutes and, and 41 seconds left in the game. Games are official at five minutes, which means that at, at that point in the game, we were up by, I want to say about 17 points. So we, we beat the spread but the game was not official. So all bets were off. So anybody that put money on this game was off. So instead of Vegas losing, you can say lots of money, the game was suddenly a, a no contest when it comes to the Vegas books, right? Officially in, in the NCAA books, we got the victory. The lights were never able to come back on. And, and immediately what they said is there was a the car accident. There was a crash into um, into a, a, a pole somewhere down the road that, that caused all the power to go out. You know, that never happened. They came out later and said, no, that, that never happened. So nobody knows. They, they say it was a mechanical error inside the stadium. That was, it was a worn wire that was going to happen. It was going to happen at some point. It just happened to be two minutes, 41 seconds before a game became official. And, and, Certain people were were out a lot of money, so you make it what it, what you it will. It was definitely it. funny business. I mean, let's be real; they, those kind of things just don't just randomly happen, right? Right. And has it ever happened since? No, right? Yeah, right. And, and, for, <laughs> and, and for anyone that wasn't in the stadium, and, and Bernie, I think you were 
I was, I was hurt. You were so hurt. I didn't even so go. You didn't make the trip. All right. And, and I had some, my parents were watching the game and listening to it. Everything went black. So TV went out, radio went out because the entire stadium suddenly lost power. Um, so, which also meant the entire locker room was pitch dark. So we didn't have any lights in the locker room. And now guys are trying to shower in locker. We're trying to pack up those bags that we had mentioned earlier, bring all the pads, everything else for, you know, basically 80, 80 guys, uh, including the coaches load them up to the truck in, in complete darkness. So we had flashlights They were trying to pick up everything as the teams were trying to shower, get dressed in the dark, get back on the bus, uh, get out the game. So it was uh, definitely, definitely an, an interesting experience uh, to say the least. One of those uh, wacky games that, uh, you know, no one ever will maybe ever know what really happened. Well, no one knows where Jimmy Hoffa is buried. So I think this is, this is pretty much up there with you. So who drove, who drives to do you guys would fly there. I would assume to UNLV on the early shift, but there's a guy who drives the truck out there. Yeah. That dude is nuts. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we had two guys that would, would partner up and, and switch off uh, in the, the trailer, but yeah, they, anytime we went out to, to UNLV or to the Rose bowl, they literally made the, the, the trip. You know, three quarters of the way across the country in the semi uh, to these games and back. Matt P, we was, should apply for that job. Long haul trucking. I mean, do you have a CDL? Just you and me, but you, not for anybody else. Just Wisconsin to just drive around the country with the pads in the back. I mean, I'm okay with that. I mean, we'll have to get it. We'll have to get our uh, our CDL to do that. But you know, that can't be that hard, can it? We could do the podcast from the truck. From the truck. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be no noise issues whatsoever while we're doing that. <laughs> well, that's what you're here for, right? Yeah, I guess. It is. <laughs> Hey, live, oh live stream from the truck. It would be amazing. What are you guys doing now? I'm uh, Matt's drinking a monster. We're six hours in. Like nothing else is going on. This is a radio. First of all, first I'm of all, I'm a sugar-free Red Nebraska. Bull guy. If we're if we're if we're gonna get it, if we're gonna get it right, but you know, that you can have a sugar-free Red Bull. I'm more of a a low-carb blue monster guy myself. Mm. There you go. I'm just happy they didn't have those drinks. Uh, they had Red Bull, but not Monster. And to me, Red Bull was gross. But I drank a ton of Red Bull vodkas. Right, yeah. In, yeah, in, in the right mix, it was acceptable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mixed with vodka, it tastes delicious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if I could go back and tell my younger self, I would have brought you a beer every time I saw you, <laughs> just for this <laughs> specific moment. Well, we oh, definitely man, well, have to. We definitely have to get back to Madison sometime soon and, and catch up for a game. Oh my god, it'd be great. We'll go out on a Friday and run some drills. Love it. <laughs> Lucas, thank you so much. This is such a pleasure, man. It's so fun to see you and to just like rehash all the fun times we, we used to have from a different a different telescope. So yeah, I we really was, appreciate uh, it. Yeah, about 20 years ago, it seemed like it was about a year ago. So I appreciate uh, you guys spending some time with me and then let me share some of my story and then being a part of it. Well, we yeah, really thanks, appreciate Lucas. it, Lucas. And uh, until next time, on Wisconsin. On Wisconsin. Thanks for listening to the Believe in Badger Football podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, presented by betonline.ag. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Believe in Badgers. That's B-L-E-A-V in Badgers. Also, make sure to check out our YouTube page for full videos of our podcasts. The show is produced by Matt Perkins and Matt Bernstein with audio editing and mixing by Matt Perkins. Our theme music is by Matt Blaustein. Thanks again for listening and on Wisconsin.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.